You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, and you're in for another tutoring session today with Dr. Rob Stevens of MiningEssentials.com. Remember, it's the number one book I recommend for newer mining investors. Mineral Exploration and Mining Essentials is the book. You can find it at his website. Again, MiningEssentials.com. It's also on Amazon and wherever good books are sold. Uh, Rob, thank you for coming on. You're going to talk to us about the nugget effect, what we need to know about this geologically and as mining investors. So I uh, test, pass the baton to you now. Uh, perfect. Great. Thanks, Bill. Uh, and uh, glad to be here again and uh, providing a little bit of a presentation about uh, an interesting topic that uh, some of your listeners may have come across over the past uh, number of years uh, called the nugget effect. And it's one that primarily affects gold projects, uh, but uh, it can also affect other uh, particularly precious metals or, or high-grade mineral deposits. Uh, but uh, let's get into that. And just uh, here's the cover of my book. If anybody's looking for it and sees that, uh, that's what the, the cover of the book looks like, uh, which is on Amazon, as you mentioned, uh, Bill. So, uh, sorry, one second. What are we going to talk about uh, today? So first of all, what is the nugget effect? What does that mean? Uh, then we'll do a little bit of coverage of both geological and sampling nugget effect. So there's different sort of issues that can arise, geological, natural, and then sampling issues for the nugget effect. The impact of the nugget effect on expiration and on resource estimates. And then finally, we'll finish off with a few investor considerations, some things to keep in mind uh, when this issue pops up. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen photographs like this, uh, some, some shots of drill core with uh, really nice gold samples in them. Uh, the one here that's cracked in half, you can see the, the bright gold right in the middle, and then little sort of almost wisps or veins of gold uh, in the drill core. And so companies love to put these in press releases, of course, uh, or on their website. They're nice flashy uh, shots. Uh, geologists get really excited when they're in the field and they see gold like this uh, because the reality is, is gold often is not visible at all in many deposits. Uh, it occurs in extremely small sizes uh, within the rock or sometimes within other minerals. Uh, so when a geologist sees uh, gold like this in their core, uh, they obviously get really excited. I guess the question is then, how meaningful is that? How representative is it beyond the beautiful sample? Uh, what does it mean from uh, an investment point of view? So I've got a little more text in this presentation than some, but uh, let me run through some key points here. So what is the gold nugget effect? So the nugget effect, it's related to highly variable distribution of gold in a mineral deposit caused by localized large gold grains or flakes, the so-called nugget. So uh, rather than uh, the gold being distributed evenly and consistently across primarily vein deposits, uh, what you end up with is little patches or, or, or zones or flakes of very high-grade gold like we just saw in those uh, samples, uh, pictures of core. Um, and so that's the challenge is that you get these pods or these patches of high-grade gold within the deposit. And what are nuggets? So they're considered to be gold grains larger than about 100 micrometers or 0.1 millimeter. So probably doesn't seem like a nugget when you think about it at that size. It's still pretty small. 
but anything at that 0.1 millimeter size or bigger, and, and often they're bigger than that, uh, really would represent a, an oversized grain of gold within a deposit. It's most common in narrow gold vein deposits. Uh, for those who knows the, know their deposit types, things such as mesothermal or epithermal uh, gold deposits. Not quite as common in porphyry style deposits, uh, bigger tonnage, low grade deposits. The gold tends to be a little bit more evenly distributed. So it's, it's very much a, a vein style uh, deposit issue. And really, what is it? It can result in really irregular gold grades with locally very high assay results. So I just put an example here where you could get half a gram gold uh, per ton in one half of your drill core, and then say 105 grams per ton gold in the other half of the drill core. Uh, and, and that's just because the one that was uh, sampled, the one half that was sampled had some of that high grade gold in it and, and the other didn't. And you can see it would then become difficult difficult to assess, well, what is the true grade and, and how, how do we assess that? So just uh, looking at a, a quick uh, sort of histogram to give you a sense of what this might mean, uh, what we're looking at at the bottom are, are uh, the gold grade in grams per ton. And on the, the left side is the frequency, so the number of samples. So in this case, you can see pretty much all of the samples or the vast majority of them came between zero and five grams per ton. So really that's where we're looking at the average grade within this deposit. But you can see way out here on the right, we've got a sample that's assayed almost 100 grams per ton, 170, 45, and a couple more uh, in the 25 to, to 30 range. And just going with that 100 grams per ton, I mean, one sample at 100 grams per ton can very much skew the overall results when you start aggregating or, or putting results together or looking to do uh, a resource estimate. Now, I don't want to leave the impression that's not a real result. It is a real result. The challenge is how meaningful is it? What does it actually represent in terms of the average grade of gold uh, within a deposit? So as I mentioned earlier, there's kind of two ways to think about the nugget effect. There's the geological aspect of it and the sample or the sampling aspects. Uh, so looking at geological first, uh, the geological nugget effect really results from natural geological processes in the way gold-bearing veins are formed, uh, natural heterogeneity in the way gold is distributed within those veins, uh, and recognize that both fine and coarse gold can occur in a posit. It's that coarse gold is the nugget one that's, that's a challenge. And then the sample nugget effect is really related to kind of the human aspects of it. Now, uh, what is the sample size? How was it collected? How was it prepared uh, at the laboratory? And what were the analytical methods uh, that were used uh, can all contribute to this, this issue. <clears throat> so from a geological nugget effect uh, and thinking of vein deposits then, so Gold vein deposits will normally form over a period of time where there are pulses of gold bearing hydrothermal fluids moving through a vein structure. So veins don't tend to form just you know, in one continuous uh, inflow of hydrothermal fluids with, with gold in it. There tends to be pulses that can occur over long periods of time. And if we look at this photo here, this is a, actually somewhat of an old photo uh, for the Con Mine, which is near Yellowknife and in, in the Northwest Territories in Northern Canada. Uh, but uh, this is the vein that was mined. And, and you can just see from it, there's different structures in there. There's different parts to this vein that, you know, they're, 
when you get right up there, that vein has a lot of character to it. And what we may find is the gold only occurs in some parts of it, only in patches of it, only right against the contact with the wall rock, possibly, or other features uh, like that. So gold is not always evenly distributed uh, within these types of vein features. And then, um, so complex vein structures formed over a period of time then can result in gold placement in just certain structures or subveins of variable size, orientation, and grade. So it can be a challenge, again, to really understand that, that grade. Now, I want to just mention vein, quote, nuggets versus placer gold nuggets, um, because many of you may have this thought in your mind, and certainly I do. When I think of a gold nugget, uh, often the first thing that comes up is the photograph here on the right, which are placer gold nuggets. They tend to be you know, a pretty good size, uh, rounded, smoothed out, sometimes even flattened. Uh, those are, are gold that's recovered from streams, sands, and gravels uh, and, and get to, can get to very large size, usually through mechanical uh, accumulation and growth of that nugget. It didn't actually come out of the bedrock in that form. It was created that way through placer river and stream processes. The photo on the left now of a piece of quartz vein with a lot of visible gold on it, that's really what the gold will look like in a vein nugget. It, it's more flaky, uh, little patches like this. I mean, that would be a very high-grade sample if that was uh, what was analyzed. So I just wanted to separate those out so people have, have a sense. We refer to it as the nugget effect, uh, but don't have a picture in your mind of, of like a placer nugget sitting in the rock because that's not, that's not exactly what it looks like. It's more like on the left here. All right, so that's kind of the, the geological aspects. We think of the sampling uh, issues with uh, the nugget effect. So really what is that? Is that a standard sample analysis? So your fire assay, your standard fire assay, for example, may over or underrepresent the true grade of gold in the vein deposit. So for example, through that process of taking a sample, sending it to the lab, they crush, they grind, and they pulverize that down. And then they take a small split of that pulverized sample and analyze that for the gold. Well, if a small flake, like in the photo we just saw uh, previously, if a small bit of that flake makes it into the little bit of sample that you take to analyze, what you'll find is that uh, it will end up giving you a very high grade. And you could take another split and you might get almost no grade at all. And so this is the challenge that you face is that uh, the, the, the actual sample that was analyzed may not truly give you a representative grade for the sample. So lots of ways of looking at that and addressing it. Obviously, one geologist needs to recognize that it's an issue to start with. Uh, but what are some approaches that can be taken to address this? Uh, first of all, larger sample sizes. Generally, the bigger the sample that is collected and analyzed, uh, the likelihood of a small flake over-representing the grade uh, will be diminished. So it could mean drilling with wider core, using whole core samples, which, which has another issue as well. Um, we don't want to get into, but it means that you don't have any core left and due diligence by potentially future property acquirers may be an issue, but a whole core sample will give you a bigger sample. Using longer core intervals, you know, rather than assaying a 10 centimeter piece of core that had visible gold in it, you know, your chances of getting a splashy high grade are probably pretty good with that. So you could have longer core intervals that start to average things out. 
Uh, bulk samples uh, is another uh, potential approach that you can take in expiration. Uh, or larger assay splits. Uh, sometimes uh, only about 30 grams of, of material from the sample is assay, assayed. Uh, but you can take larger sizes, 50 grams, that kind of thing, again, which can help to reduce the potential for a, a really high grade. Repeat analysis. So after you've crushed and pulverized that rock, uh, multiple several splits rather than just one little 30 gram or 50 gram split, take several and uh, do several uh, repeat analysis on the same sample. That should help to identify it as well. Now, from the lab point of view, there are a couple of methods that are commonly used uh, when a nugget effect is uh, identified. And one of them that uh, you may hear is called metallic screen assays or metallic assay. Uh, and the other is whole rock leach. So let me just describe those briefly. The metallic assay, really what they do with that, they take the, the rock sample that's sent to the lab, gets crushed and pulverized, and then they screen it to about 110 micrometers, which is that threshold roughly where we said anything bigger than that is considered a nugget or a coarse gold. And then what they do is they analyze the entire coarse fraction. So anything that was above the screen that may have had that coarse gold in it gets analyzed in total. Then they take a representative split maybe even two of them from the smaller material that went through the screen. And then they combine the two on a weight-adjusted basis to get the average grade for the sample. And that way, it takes into account both the coarse gold that could be in the sample as well as the fine gold and gives you a much better average grade for that sample. So uh, that's a good technique that can be used. And you'll see lots of companies mention that uh, in their press releases uh, when they have a, a nugget effect issue. The other one is called a whole rock or total sample leach. Uh, leach well is one method that's used. And essentially what they do there is they're almost using sort of mining type methods is that they use cyanide, which is how we recover gold at mining operations, uh, to dissolve the gold uh, from a total sample weighing at least 500 grams. And often a kilogram or more is really what you need. And what you get then is an assessment of total recoverable gold, whether it's fine or coarse. It's actually the recoverable gold in the same way that you may recover gold uh, at a mining operation. So those are two different ways in which we can address this, uh, this nugget effect so that we are confident that the grade that we're getting from our results is consistent with the overall average grade for that rock, not just the nugget itself. Uh, one final uh, sort of approach or another approach can be used here, uh, and this is particularly for resource estimates, is where they do what they call a top cut or a top cap. And essentially, they reduce uh, the value of really high-grade outlier assays to limit the influence of that high-grade assay um, on the overall grade within your resource estimate. Because, um, you know, just a small number of high-grade values in a, in a group uh, can really skew your results. If you've got 10 samples and one's 100 grams and all the rest are two, that 100 gram sample is going to skew everything to a much higher average grade than maybe realistic. So there's lots of different approaches to capping, uh, providing this top cap uh, or cut to your assay. Um, ideally, it's a statistical process and, and there's different statistical approaches that can be used. Uh, but it does, in order for the statistics to be used effectively, you have to have a large uh, sample set. 
So that can work for advanced projects or mines, uh, not so easy at the early stages of exploration. And so you see people even somewhat arbitrarily saying, you know, any assay we get over 30 grams per ton, we'll just cap it at 30 grams uh, to, to reduce that uh, effect. So there's some sort of steps that uh, companies take, and you'll see them reference this uh, as they um, look to address uh, the nugget effect. So what are some of the um, uh, impacts to expiration? What does this mean to companies who are exploring for gold? So first, it can be hard to assess the significance of a discovery. Uh, you know, high-grade samples are really encouraging, but how representative uh, are they? And it can be difficult to understand the true grade and grade distribution in a vein where you have these pockets and patches of gold. So it's a, it's a technical challenge for the geological team. Uh, of course, somebody loves to see a press release where you've got 100 grams per ton in, in a sample, but really, what does that mean? And, and it becomes a little harder to assess. Uh, so companies need to assess different drilling methods, sampling, analytical methods, as I just described, uh, to better understand gold distribution. Uh, for example, people might do a whole lot more RC or reverse circulation drilling, where you can get big sample sizes uh, in, in order to address this, you know, as well as core drilling, they might need to do both. So they'll have to really think about how they're going to approach it. A very common issue is that you need really tight drill hole spacing uh, because the issue is, is what is the continuity of grade between drill holes and uh, where you have that nugget effect. Uh, it can be hard to understand what's going on between drill holes. That means you need to tighten up your spacing. And, you know, some uh, uh, I've seen this recommended a few times is to do a bulk sample early in the expiration program. Normally people do bulk samples sort of at the mature stages of expiration and they're doing it for metallurgical purposes uh, in order to assess how they would process and recover the metals out of the rock. Uh, but if you do a bulk sample early in the expiration project, so something that might be 1,000 tons or, or even more than that, 10,000 tons, uh, and then recover all the gold out of that bulk sample, um, you can get a better understanding of the true amount of gold in the deposit and then also assess how your exploration methods are working. Is the, are the approaches that you're taking to addressing the nugget effect working? Uh, because you know, the bulk sample, the result from the bulk sample and your uh, exploration approaches uh, should be arriving at more or less the same uh, results. Resource estimates are another big part of this. So it's a challenge at exploration. It's certainly a challenge with resource estimates as well. Now, the nugget, uh, nugget effect for gold is real. It's not, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression it's not real gold. It is gold that's there. Really, the challenge is, uh, is an accurate estimate of the true gold without over or underestimating. You know, some people say part of the challenge with, with capping drill results is that the 100-gram assay is a true assay. And if you reduce that down to 30, well, you're actually removing some real gold in the deposit. And we don't take a zero result and, and move that up, right? Because just as much as you might hit a nugget, you might not hit a nugget at all. So um, you can both overestimate or underestimate the amount of gold in a deposit with the nugget effect. It's just, it's not always an overestimate. It, it can go either way. And, and it's a challenge to arrive at what is that, that real value. 
Uh, so grade continuity challenges, I already mentioned those. That's a big thing in, in resource estimates. Um, really, you're using the results from your drill holes and assuming that between drill holes, you understand how grade continues. Uh, and in, in nuggety deposits, that can be a challenge. So again, tighter drill hold spacing may be needed, possibly even 10 meters or less. That's a lot of drilling that's going to need to be done uh, you know, before you can get to um, a good result. And sorry, I skipped over the one previously here. Uh, I think this is an important one. It can be hard to get to an indicated or measured resource category. So in our mineral resources, we have inferred, indicated, and measured going up in sort of quality and, and understanding of the deposit. In really nuggety deposits, it can be hard to get to that higher confidence resource estimate because the qualified person just does not have confidence in that continuity of grade if it's really variable. Uh, so capping outlier results is used in resource estimates uh, and bulk samples as well. So um, similar to, to expiration, these can be used to help uh, you know, better arrive at a better estimation. All right, so what, what does this mean for investors? What, what should you think about? Um, the first I would say is don't get too wowed over local, very high-grade results, uh, particularly over narrow intervals and in gold vein deposits. <clears throat> you know, it's great to see uh, a company with a very high result in their press release, you know, touting uh, even sometimes kilograms per ton of gold. Um, so it makes for a nice headline, but uh, it, it may not be that meaningful. I mean, another way to look at it is to say, well, what is the grade of operating mines? I mean, there are not very many operating mines that have an average grade even more than 30 grams per ton, and most of them are a whole lot less than that. Underground, maybe 10 or 15 grams. Open pit could be down even less than one gram per ton. So the fact that they've got hundreds of grams per ton, you just know that that's not really all that meaningful. And, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great deposit. So you got to dig a little bit deeper. I mean, I think like always, you shouldn't rely on a single press release, a single drill hole, or a single result, right? You need to think about the, the fuller package. I think it's good to understand how the company is addressing the nugget effect. I mean, if they're going to talk about hundreds of grams per ton, then they need to have a, a way of addressing that uh, to, to understand then really what they do have. So what are their sampling methods, their assaying, their analytical methods, uh, geological modeling, that can help capping results, that kind of thing. So get a sense of how they're approaching this issue. Uh, here's another one. Consider how samples are composited. Because uh, one high-grade result can skew the average grade for a large interview. So for example, companies might uh, sample and assay their, their vein, let's say, in one-meter intervals. So do a series of one-meter intervals. Well, if one of those intervals had a really high grade result and they just added that in and averaged it with the others, you can end up with, let's say, a 10 meter interval that sounds like it's got a great grade, when in reality, it was only one of those 10 meters that had that. And reality is it was probably because a flake of gold made it into the, um, to the assay split. So... That's not always so easy. You'd have to dig a little bit deeper to see how they're composited. Uh, if a company is releasing their detailed assay results for every interval, you can take a quick look to just see 
the average grade of 10 meters, what does that actually look like in, in the individual samples? So, so it takes a little more digging, but it is something to sometimes uh, to be aware of. Be aware it may require extensive close space drilling. Uh, it takes time and resources. Um, you know, getting to 10 meter drilling, that's, that's going to take a long time and cost a lot of money. Uh, it may be hard and costly, really, as a result of drilling to arrive at high, high confidence resource estimates. So difficult to get to a measured resource. Now, you don't have to. I mean, there's no requirement that says you must get to a measured resource. Um, you know, some investors, some funds may want to see that. Um, but just recognize it can be harder here. And it, it's not necessarily a terrible thing, just uh, it's good to be aware of that. Uh, and maybe the last one I'll just mention, um, and this gets to the mining side of it, grade reconciliation with new operating mines can be a challenge. So where you have a lot of nugget effect, hopefully you got a sense from what I just went through that there can be challenges with doing the resource estimate uh, for those deposits. And so when that actually gets into an operating mine uh, in those first few months, year or more, um, there may be less or more gold that actually comes out uh, in that mine, depending on how well they, they were able to address that nugget effect. Uh, in the worst case scenario, um, you know, they way overestimated it. They're getting much less gold and, and it can kill that operation quickly. Uh, the flip side is, as they may end up with more gold than they thought because they were, you know, careful and conservative with their approaches. So, something to recognize anyway that that, that grade reconciliation uh, between the resource estimate and what you're actually mining uh, might be variable in those first uh, year or so uh, of the operation. So there we go, Bill. That's a quick and dirty overview uh, of the nugget effect. Um, something just to keep in mind. It's, it's not uh, a grand concern. Lots of deposits have it. There's lots of ways of addressing it. Uh, but I think as an investor, uh, it's good to know that and, and to take those super high-grade samples uh, with a little bit of a grain of salt when you see those. So, yeah. About uh, 10 years ago in United States politics, when the Affordable Health Care Act was in Congress, I remember that the Speaker of the House at the time said, we need to pass it to find out what's in it. And when it comes to mining, I've been I've heard people say regarding nuggety deposits, we need to mine it to find mm -hmm. out what's in it. But as an investor, I mean, when you hear that, it's avoid at all costs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's for something like the bulk sample. At some point, even earlier in the expiration phases can be useful uh, because while it's not a full mine, at least it's sort of getting to the scale of a mine and and it gives greater confidence than uh, in understanding that nugget effect and the methods that are being used to address it so uh, but yeah it's it's a tricky one for sure it there's more than one mine that's uh, you know had a good party or <laughs> not depending on uh, their reconciliation of those great results for sure should the investors critique the engineering companies just as much as the management teams when it comes to the economic studies that are prepared around nuggety deposits? Mm -hmm. Well, I do think that um, uh, where you have a high nugget effect deposit, um, it is going to be difficult to arrive at that resource estimate. And so um, I think when you've got maybe overly confident uh, categories, you know, people are moving it all up to the measured category with 25 or 50 meter drill hole spacing. That would be something I would be concerned about a little bit. Um, 
you know, I think it, that the caution needs to be outlined in engineering reports too. Um, you know, there, there are, as I went through a number of methods to address it, um, and some of it can get quite sophisticated uh, and can really reduce the potential for error. But I think it is a risk that needs to be articulated effectively in those engineering port, uh, reports and likewise, you know, repeated by um, by management. But, um, um, you know, I think that for the most part, uh, they're going to have to do the best they can with that and not get overly confident. And, and as I said, not put it up to a measured category when really that's not realistic for uh, the type of deposit. And shouldn't investors be a little more skeptical when it comes to these deposits? Because I remember a few months ago or however many months ago, five, six, seven months ago, there was a company that came out that had stellar results, but then they had to come back to market and say, listen, the half of the core that we sent to the assay lab had significantly more gold in it than the half we kept. Because I mean, human bias can come into play. You decide where you're going to cut that core. And if you see that shiny gold in it, that's the one you want to send to the assay lab, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, and that's that sampling bias, sampling kind of nugget effect. You know, to me, where I would be cautious is that whenever there are splashy, super high-grade results, great, kind of draws you in, but you have to take a look at that and get a sense of what it means. So if, you know, they've got a whole bunch of samples in the zero to five gram per ton range, and then they've got a few of these really high-grade ones that they're promoting, well, you know that those are not totally realistic. Uh, They are real samples, but what are they doing to address that? Uh, out of a result like that, I would expect to see that they're doing check assays, they're trying to metallics, they're they're looking at various ways to address over-representation by these very high-grade results. So uh, yeah, I, I, it can be misleading. And I think you, you know, it's like one of those adages, if it seems too good to be true, maybe it is. <laughs> and that's probably partly the case with, with super high-grade results. They can be meaningful. I mean, obviously, you want gold in your deposit, and those nuggety patches can add a lot of gold to the deposit, so it can be a great one. But you just have to be a little cautious about those and understand what does that really mean with the overall grade. I would probably toss those out in my own analysis and just say, well, what you know, forget those top ones. That's a bonus. Great if it if we get that in the end. But what what is really meaningful is the, you know, the average grade really for the bulk of the of the samples. Rob, as you know, in the late 90s with the BRIEC scandal, the, the core that was sent to the assay lab was salted with gold, which caused artificial gold levels to be reported. Is there something that the assay labs do differently to counteract that potential fraud in terms of how they prepare the core if it has been salted? Right. Yeah. So um, good question. Uh, in the case of the of the Bri- uh, Briex case, actually, what, what happened there is the the gold that uh, the core that left the expiration site between when it left the expiration site and arrived at the assay lab, uh, it was some small flakes of placer gold were actually added into the bags, and so then the bags got to the assay lab, dumped a, a, emptied everything out of those bags, including the gold that had now been added. Uh, crushed and ground and and then assayed it that way uh, and got these false results because that wasn't the gold that was truly in the rock. So I think an important step that has come out of that that really was around at the time too are quality assurance and quality control procedures uh, that exploration companies put in place 
Uh, you can find these often on companies' websites. And that really starts right from the collection of the sample in the field. Uh, where there are chain of custody protocols, uh, samples are sealed, and they, the seal has to be verified when it arrives at the analytical lab. Um, you know, most of the, uh, the, the analytical labs are, are ISO certified in different ways, so they have very strict uh, chain of custody and protocols themselves as the sample moves through that lab. Um, you would also expect labs are, are doing, uh, and in fact, in Nugget, uh, deposits, you can even request uh, an extra cleaning of the equipment as each sample goes through. Gold is soft enough that it can actually plate out or get stuck on some of that crushing and grinding equipment. And they do clean it, uh, but you can uh, sometimes ask for extra cleaning. They'll put blank rock in just to really, you know, flesh out that or flush out that system. So, um, yeah, so there are a lot of protocols in place, but the main one I think is quality assurance and quality control procedures, and uh, it's it's you know something that has to be articulated in forty three one hundred one reports. So I do think much of that has been addressed. That the uh, as I saw a presentation years ago, the the bags that showed up on top of a pool table and a bit of gold was added, and then they went off to the assay lab. Uh, it's a, it's much less likely that that's going on. And I think as an investor, just look for what are the quality assurance and control uh, procedures that a company has in place to, to give you some confidence around those results. All right. Last question. Other than gold, what minerals typically could produce the nugget effect? Well, a diamond comes to mind uh, in a different way. I mean, the geological aspects of it are, are different. Diamonds are extremely low-grade deposits, particularly uh, gem quality diamonds. You can get some very small diamonds, but but not big ones. Um, so yeah, it it whole other story on how you sort of uh, address that uh, in diamond deposits. But um, it's because individual large diamonds can have such a huge value, and yet they may be one in many many tons of rock. Uh, if you happen to get a few of those diamonds, the coarse diamonds. Uh, you can get a big overestimate. And, and actually what companies generally do is they, they um, evaluate the very fine diamonds that would not really even be economic. Uh, but, and then they use graphs and they say, well, uh, a deposit typically with this distribution of fine diamonds may have this distribution of coarser diamonds and it helps, helps them to sort of correlate and, and get a, or extrapolate, I guess, to the potential grade of diamonds. So that's a tricky one, maybe for another uh, discussion. Uh, and, and I think platinum can be a little bit like that too. Again, it depends a little bit how it, uh, how it occurs. I even came across um, what are referred to as paleoplacer uh, gold deposits, uh, some in West Australia, where they're, uh, and by paleoplacer, this is basically gold that has eroded out of rocks into streams and, and gravels as a placer deposit then that whole material has now solidified into rock and they're mining this this rock which uh, the deposit actually formed through placer methods and inherently gold that was formed in streams and gravels can be patchy and potty and 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 very high grade so that's another tricky one you don't see those deposits so much uh, but um, but that still relates to gold as well so yeah those would be a couple of, of other things I think to keep your eye on for the nugget effect. Excellent. Uh, Rob, your website again is miningessentials.com. You have your book there, but you also offer courses, don't you? 
Yeah, I have some online courses uh, that are available that you can access uh, through my uh, website that give you a good overview of the whole industry from one end to the other. A couple of different choices there. I uh, occasionally have uh, live courses, either remotely through Zoom or, or in person. So you can see those would be listed on the uh, the website as well. And, and the book uh, available on Amazon.com in the US and, and globally through that or Amazon CA in Canada and Amazon AU in uh, Australia as well. Excellent. Well, thank you for this lesson today. Yeah, no problem, Bill. It's great chatting again. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.